There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On this edition, Spain slip up to Scotland but if you're listening to this in Scotland, that was no slip-up. We're going to win the cup. We're going to win the cup. E-I-A-D-O. Also, from PSG to Chelsea to Bayern, Thomas Tuchel, the journeyman coach, has landed in Munich in time for a battle against the team he used to manage. And we're tiptoeing through the tulips of the Dutch Eredivisie to see whether Feyenoord will win the title or throw it away. So... Andy, first of all, before I come to you, David, I know you'll have thoughts on this. Was it a slip-up? <laughs> you're looking at me. Was it a slip-up in Hamden, for Hamden Park, that is, for Spain or not? I've, I've seen some good teams lose at Hamden Park. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we all have. So, you know, I, I'm quite on board with the, the, the current Scotland. I guess the question we really want to ask is how well-equipped Spain were for this. Um, I mean, we'll get to the, the, the team in a minute, David, mm. but Rodri coming out and saying about Scotland playing, the now infamous clip, I think we can call it, of Spain playing rubbish football. Of course, there are some people who have said, 
He played for Atletico. I mean, how is how is he going to come out and say something like that? I mean, he was also told you're not required here because you like to pass the ball. <laughs> but still, it was a bit rich. Yeah, right? he he learned in the best shithousen finishing school there can be. You know, um, these were just outrageous statements. Where he <laughs> they came were, out, they, they? they were so bad yeah. on on every level. I don't think there's a positive. He's had a shocking week. Yeah, there was a tackle on Odegaard as well, and then he's come out and said this, um, and it's just. Yeah, it's just really poo. I think. Do we re- think that tackle on Odegaard made him miss that sitter in Georgia? I mean, <laughs> maybe. it was just bad football, as as he likes to say. Um, but yeah, um, it was really poor, really disingenuous. I'd go as far as to say embarrassing. Um, if Scotland were rubbish, which they weren't, then what was Spain? Mm. Like, you, you know, um, Scotland won that game fairly. So let's get this out of the way. Scotland won that game fairly. They were far superior team. Um, I don't think they even played bully ball particularly um, they wasted a bit of time what team doesn't these days mm. um, so Rodri is guilty of it himself um, as uh, Manchester City as our Spain as our every team at the top right now so for him to come out and bemoan it and this is the worst thing just take it on the chin it happens you can't be a sore loser like that you have to take it if you dish it out which he does and which you know Spain do they have to take it on the chin you can't come out like that after with, with statements like that, which were really poor. What What was the point he was trying to make, though? Who was he trying to make a point to by saying that Scotland were rubbish? Well, I, I don't really know because it's this thing of saying, well, we play football on a, a purer, higher level. And it's like, take a look around you. I don't, I don't think this is the greatest Spain team ever. And I don't, I don't think it's a massive leap to, to say that. And a, c- a couple of people have asked about that, haven't they? Yeah, indeed. Um, let's go to the first one. Well, first of many, by the way. Uh, this is from Imi Ralph on Instagram. Does Spain's loss to Scotland and their early World Cup exit show a general decline of quality in Spanish football over the last two to three years, David? I think ultimately, yeah. Um, I think the quality of La Liga has declined. Um, and I think also you've got to remember Spain had a golden generation and won everything there was to win with them. And they were, they are one of the greatest national teams to have ever played. They're up there with the very best of them. So look, when you don't keep that, everything after is going to be a decline in some way. It's how far you go down that decline. Um, and I think Spain have actually fallen really, really, really far. Um I think the Scotland uh, results showed that. Yes, there were a lot of changes, which we'll get into in a minute. There were eight changes, but you look at the Norway game as well. They were poor. Um, I think they were beset by their old ancient problems um, at the World Cup as well, which cost Luis Enrique his job um, about not having a, a plan B. Um, there was an inability to break time. We've been down here so many times before. And now, look, Spain always had trouble breaking down teams who sat in those deep blocks, who, who were happy, willing to be patient with let Spain have the ball. The difference is they used to have the quality. They had the Villas, the Torres, Silvers, Sesks, Iniesta, Xavi. They had people, Xavi Alonso. They had a lot of players who could break down and offer different solutions. Right now, they haven't got the number of players in terms of quality or just the depth to break down those teams again. Is that throughout the league though? Because I'm surprised when you say that they had a golden generation, it's not mm. like they're Belgium, that if you lose that golden generation, it's gone forever. The quality of La Liga should be feeding new replacements to, all to, the to time. That, to, to, to that level though, because if you look at the list of players that David's gone through, you're talking about some of the greatest players in the history of football. I, I, th- I think that's really difficult to replace. And I don't think it's a massive knock. I think there are lots of capable players 
in the current Spain team. But the ones you're really looking at, I think you look at Gavi, you look at Nico Williams, you look at Pedri when he's available. You, you look at players who are going to grow into becoming the cornerstones of maybe the next great Spain team. But in the meantime, they're forced to lean on a Hozilu, who I've no problem with, by the way. And, you know, great debut for him against um, Norway. I think that's the sort of player they've needed for a bit. That sort of blunt instrument, I think, was the way I put it elsewhere, to to, to spearhead the, 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 the team. But when you're, when you're looking at him to run point up front, and when you're looking at, say, Iago Aspas, who is still a wonderful player, by the way, but 35 years old. And when you're looking at him for the vertical threat, if if, if that's what you're you're leaning on, it's not ideal, is it? And it's it's not comparable with any great Spain team. And I don't know about you, David, the thing that I thought was the biggest issue going into this Scotland game, I'm not sure if any of the back four are good enough to play for a good Spain team. No, they're not. They're not. There's a few players there I don't think are up to the absolute top level. I think there's a few there who have gone in decline as well. Um the team looked very old, very, you know, just very haggard, um, no freshness there. And I think there are some really, really uh, bright, young Spanish players out there, don't get me wrong, who can impact on this team. Um, but this one was really, really poor. And De La Fuente did, when he named the squad, he said, look, I want to give everybody a chance. I want to give everybody an opportunity. And that's why he rung the eight changes. Everybody was like, oh, why did he make them? And he said he wanted to give everybody an opportunity. I just think it was very... Um, ill-placed and it did look very disrespectful I think um, towards Scotland in that way and I made this point classic old adage where the team sheet will have come through to that Scotland dressing room I had a look at Spain and they would have looked at it and gone bloody hell we can take these nothing to fear yeah Yeah. absolutely nothing and they took them well this is a long way away from that classic uh, Euros semi-final with Spain uh, versus Italy, which yeah. was amazing. One which, of my, which, one, one of my favourite games of all time. Like, arguably honestly. the uh, Euros final for many people. But I think the interesting thing about that is that that almost felt like an old short Euros competition sort of run in that I don't think Spain were brilliant in every game. They, they was they was, it was so, a roller coaster. Yeah, they were so <laughs> erratic and unpredictable. Yeah. Sometimes within the same game, but you it look made at that them, Croatia game. It, in, it made them enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, in Copenhagen, De- definitely, definitely. But it didn't make me think the the finished article who are going to dominate Europe for the for for the next couple of years. It was their initial stages of transition. Um, Luis Enrique wanted to bring young players in. It, it was the start of the 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 Pedri era. Pedri now being the controller of the team. So moving away from, you know, Spain had been looking for this controller away from when, since uh, Xavi retired. Pedri came in, Luis Enrique was completely happy to give younger players the chance to be the, the you know, to lead the new leaders. Mm. And I think he was still on course. And look, I don't want to get this down because it's a debate what's raging in Spain at the moment. It, yeah, it's it's taken upon it being very black or white. You're either De La Fuente or you're Luis Enrique. Um, and, I'm very much Luis Enrique, I'll admit that. I will. I've, I've always loved Luis Enrique. Um, but I just think he was on a particular course with Spain that was in the right place. When they went out of the World Cup, they went out to a Morocco team who were absolutely phenomenal. A fairy tale story. They, they were absolutely remarkable. They really, really were. Um, so they went out to the last 16 to them. Um, and, you know, you were for Nations League final. Yes, they lost that. Euro, Euro semi-finals as well. They were on course. They were on course. They were going the right place. And sometimes there has to be a process in part. And look, it's not very often now in international football you get a world-class coach. Luis Enrique, for me, is a world-class coach. And they decided to sack that off, that process and that world-class coach off for De La Fuente, a guy who is, 
you know, got no reputation in club management at all. Uh, and he was he, unemployed for ages. Yeah, wasn't he? Years. I, I guess I, you can, I think you can overrate how important that is. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I suppose the comparison you would make, and I guess what Spain are looking at, the idea is, you know, you, he's your Gareth Southgate figure because yeah. he's he's come up from the under twenty ones. He understands the structure of the RFEF, etc. But th- these two performances do not speak for him. He was. A, I mean, that's that's clear. He was a safe appointment. He was meant to come in and just keep the ship steady. Um, the Spanish FA weren't happy with Luis Enrique. I don't think from the start. Look, he's an abrasive character at times. Um, he, he can come out with something from nowhere and it can really send a jolt through important people. And they were worried about that because there's a lot going on right now in the in the Spanish FA. I won't get into that here, but there's a lot going on right now upstairs. And they just wanted somebody who will tow the line, be safe. They just know where he's going to be and what he's going to do. And, you know, that's why they made a big deal about the Twitch thing as well, which became a thing in Spain. Well, I guess when you talk about keeping a steady hand on the tiller, you need to know where you're going already. There's too much to still develop, isn't there? That, yeah. that, that's really the issue. Because you talked about like the administrative chaos. I mean, the French Federation have had something broadly similar, haven't they? Mm. Upstairs with Legray going, um, with Deschamps and his contract extension. But they also have the best set of players in the world. Yep. That makes an enormous difference. Like have, when you get on the pitch, none of that other stuff matters. You have the best set of players, and they also have continuity and familiarity. And you don't get it much in football these days. Everything's very short-termist. Um, if you look at France, how long that group has been together? They've been together a while, and they're still achieving. And and that was my point with Luis Enrique. I think he was on a really, really good course. The young players were so behind. He, he's a shaper of players, and I think he was shaping those young players for Spain. Look, it, for me, looking at this uh, as a perhaps non-expert of football. The obvious thing was there's a problem with the defence. Both of the McTominay goals were similar. They were exactly the same, came from the left and he came from midfield to score the goal. So if you haven't managed to stop him the first time, why didn't you stop him the second time? But then again, up front, they missed some absolute sitters, I thought. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know when when you talk about like McTominay blazing through. Maybe you just had the right studs on because Danny Garcia complained about the length of the grass. Uh, It's all very Cambridge (laughs) and John Beck in the 80s and 90s, isn't it? It, You know what made me laugh about that, about uh, the Garcia comments um, about the grass being too long. So you'd associate that, like, oh, they can't play the ball. Funnily enough, Luis Enrique actually didn't select him because he didn't feel he was good enough at playing the ball. Really? Yeah, and Ah. that's what's so funny about that comment. (laughs) Bob Marley never complained about the grass being too long and he was a great footballer. He was a great footballer, wasn't he? Um, So where does this leave Spain then? What can we hope looking forward that this was a blip, a slip up, or are we going to see real change in Spain after this defeat? Because I imagine it resonates, the defeat resonates in Spain. Well, David talked about the changes. They can't can't go with that team they put out in Scotland again. I mean, it's just just not good enough. Yeah. I think in in terms of where they're going next, they clearly need to build around the midfield. That's where all their best players are, as we've discussed before in a, a, a Barcelona context. Um, I mean, there there are there are a few players who just didn't do themselves any favors in in, in this team. Now I know Pedro Porro has got got some immediate heat in certain quarters when he arrived at Tottenham. I think it's pretty clear you can't have him as a right back in a back four no. uh, I mean that's, that's just not happening you talked about those McTominay goals coming from down the same side I mean if you Kieran Tierney you think it's Christmas don't you because that, that was that was wide open for him really um, you know Pedro Porro's strengths are, are elsewhere and whether he's actually elite is 
I think very much up for debate as 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 well. But yeah, in terms of in terms of depth, in terms of squad composition, yeah, they've, they've got a few things to think about. I'm sure all of our listeners know that there's been something of a musical cheers in the European coaching department. Thomas Tuchel is always seemingly at the centre of these musical cheers. He's now gone to Bayern and he's up for facing his former team at Dortmund in his first game. This is from Holti on Instagram. By the way, you can get hold of us anytime during the course of the week at... Uh, Dotson Adebayo at Football Ramble at Andy Brassel and at David Jacker J-A-C-A so this from Holti on Instagram why was Nagelsmann really kicked out is being second really that bad and that's the former Bayern coach obviously what Holti or Nagelsmann yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's it's not really the being second that, that, that got him kicked out um, because I think it takes a very active imagination. And I say this with every bit of respect for what Borussia Dortmund have done in 2023 so far. It takes a very active imagination to think that Bayern won't go on and win the league, despite the fact that they're one point behind at the moment. And we would love it to be a title race to the end of the season. Honestly, I'd love it to be a title race beyond the back of this weekend. But 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 that's a, that's a different story. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, it was really the unevenness of the performances that got Nagelsmann gone because um, Bayern have been really, really unpredictable this season. The best of Bayern has been excellent. The worst of Bayern has been what on earth is going on here. And these are recurrent issues really that sort of predate Nagelsmann. And I, I wrote for The Guardian, I guess about a week and a half ago, if what Bayern are producing predates Nagelsmann, how much influence has he actually had that, that's really what you've, you've, you've got to ask. And that's what they began to ask themselves more and more and more. Now, I, I think a lot of the problems are not of his, were not of his making. Um, the fact that the first season they didn't have a defence fit for purpose was something that he had to deal with. And, you know, they're two of their best defenders at the time, um, Alaba and uh, Boateng, went in the summer before he joined. Um, and... Manuel Neuer had to spend a lot of that first season saving them. That defence got them knocked out of the Champions League by Villarreal last season. And then, when they're a little bit further down the line reconstructing that, they sold Robert Lewandowski out from under him, having said they wouldn't. Now, in terms of replacing him, goals-wise, you know, I don't subscribe to they replaced uh, Lewandowski with Eric Maxim Chupamoting, so they, they threw him a hospital pass. I don't agree with that because Chupamoting thanks to the coaching of Nagelsmann, actually, oh, has been excellent and has had a career season and has thus been rewarded with it for a new deal, a very lucrative new deal for next season. The, the issue is one of hierarchy because Lewandowski is one of those stri strikers like Harry Kane. You know what you're getting. He's playing every single game. He's never resting. You know what the squad hierarchy is. Oh. When he goes and Tuchel being, uh, sorry, Nagelsmann, Freudian slip, being curious by nature, tries out lots of different systems. So he tries a 4-3-3. He tries a 3-4-3. He tries a 4-4-2 with two up top, be it Gnabry and Manet at the start of the season, whatever. But what this does is this creates a doubt. In a dressing room that's already full of egos, And before you know Lewandowski's the top dog and he's going to play in every game. And now you've got loads of excellent players all jostling for position. And it creates this unrest 
that no coach can really deal with. Let Not alone even Thomas Tuchel. Let alone a 35-year-old coach. Well, I mean, obviously he's excellent at upsetting people. <laughs> so, so maybe he'll have to he'll have to bring that into 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 play. I would imagine he will sort himself a hierarchy pretty quickly, and and maybe maybe that's something that they see. But a lot of these problems that Nagelsmann had, I feel, were a little bit inherited, and I don't see why you pay a world record fee for a trainer because they paid 25 million to spring him from his Leipzig contract, give him a five-year contract and then a year and a half say, oh, well, you've won every game in the Champions League but it's still a bit work in progress in the Bundesliga which we're going to win anyway. Get out. I, I don't think that's great reasoning. I think I think the players have completely thrown him under the bus. I think they've thrown him under right. the bus, they've gone over him and they've come back and they're reversed over him as well. <laughs> I really do think it's been that bad. I don't think they've applied themselves and... I think you made a great point there about the systems change. And I keep hearing a lot about this, about, oh, the players never knew where they were with Nagelsmann because he was always changing systems. The reason he was changing systems was because he was trying to find solutions. He was trying to make it work yeah. without the parts that they, you know, they no longer had. And Lewandowski. So where's the patience? Where's the application here? Um, I think it's one of the, I think a lot of, it's interesting when a manager loses his job, I think, you, you know, you can go either way, you can say, oh, look, the manager did it there himself, didn't he really, you know, but I think this is definitely one of the cases where um, the players have, have really pushed him out. Does Tuchel feel a bit short-termist to you guys? For me, it seems from what you've said that, well, it's it's combustible, you know, this yeah. is a combustible situation that he's bringing himself in. Um, and obviously, this Saturday, this weekend, is D-Day to a certain extent, although you might think otherwise, Andy, and tell us why in a moment. But what do you think, David? Yeah, I mean, if you look, I mean, there's definitely a semblance of panic in this appointment. I know Bayern's admired Tuchel for quite a while. He could have been in this job well, well before now. But, I mean, if you look at it, they've got Dortmund in the Classica this weekend. They've then got Freiburg and then DFB Pokal as well. And then they've got Manchester City in Champions League ties. It was a big, big game. Well, I'll tell you, we've had a lot of response on this on social media. This is from RW on Twitter. How soon until Tuchel... And Oli Khan clash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really glad this point about Khan's being made up. I buy in one of the clubs where their ex-players just seem to sound off a lot more than others. Oh, they've, totally. There's one, they're one of those clubs where the former players, they're legends, and they've got a lot of them, who seem to talk a hell of a lot. And I think it creates a lot of pressure on the particular guy in charge. It, it does. And I, I think it's interesting how Rummenigge and Hernis aren't there anymore, but they kind of are there. You, yeah. you still get plenty of chat out of them, even though they're not at the <coughs> running the club in a in a day to day fashion as, as as they were. And I, I think that the the Oli Khan question is a really good one because I'm not sure if it's about the clash between Khan and Tuchel because Tuchel could start fighting in an empty room. Although he did become politically more adept at Chelsea, I, I thought that was something that he he, he clearly worked on, and um, he, he saw out some pretty difficult moments, especially when the whole Abramovich thing was 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 blowing up. However, what I would say is never mind looking at whether Tuchel works. Let's look at whether Khan works. Let's look at whether Hassan Salahamazic work. Because you you had this complete rock solid the stability at Bayern was never the coach. We traditionally think of here in the UK as a coach as being a manager. We think of it as being Wenger, Ferguson, someone who runs the whole show, who's massively influential and has got a huge shadow. Whereas with Bayern, 
the stability was never the head coach. The head coach was just another employee, even when it was Guardiola. This is one of the things that Guardiola liked so much about working for Bayern. He didn't have to do all the other stuff like he did at Barcelona. Everything upstairs dealt with all the other things that wasn't the team. So he could just concentrate on being a football obsessive, which is what he always wanted to do. Whereas here, we know that Rummenigge and Hernes could could run the club. I mean, they, they even rode out Hernis going to prison for God's sake. You know, you know that, that's how stable they were. Whereas Khan, Salahamazic, who's been given a new contract, not everyone thinks he should have been. They're kind of learning to run Bayern, mm. I think. And and these are the moments and these are the calls that will put them under the spotlight and ask big questions of them. Yeah, I was going to say Tuchel has to work for them. Otherwise, they're going to have to stop looking at the coaches and start looking at themselves. I don't think you can keep mm. changing coach all the time. And look, if you're project manager, your golden boy, the Bayern fan who finally got the job at his team, um, you paid £25 million for, is swiftly rode out of the club, then how quickly does that mean Tuchel can go? Mm. Like I say, uh, Saturday is D-Day, but let's leave that for one moment because Dean on Twitter asks, what are Bayern's chances for the Champions League now that they have a proven winner in charge? which might be one of the reasons why Tuchel got the job. Yeah, I, th- I think it might be. Um, and I think you can also say that that run in the Champions League completely changed Thomas Tuchel's life and career. Because before that, you think of him as a promising coach who there's no doubts about him on the training pitch, but he's really, really good at falling out with people. Whereas what he does at Chelsea, even though it ended badly at Chelsea and they were, they were poor for the last couple of months, and that's something that they still obviously haven't mm. sorted out. I think the the fact that he kept smooth relations with upstairs and, I mean, not only did they win that Champions League, the way he printed his personality on that team and made them the best team in the Champions League so quickly, almost making them winning it like almost an inevitability. I think that's what's impressed people so much. But it is quite a small sample size. His rapport, Dougal's rapport with Chelsea fans is really, really esteemed. I don't think people realise how much Chelsea fans love them for those reasons you mentioned, but also as well, when everything was going on with the Chelsea ownership situation with Abramovich being uh, pushed out because of everything that's going on with Russia, Tuchel came out every single week. He defended that club. And whether you think that's rightly or wrongly, but Chelsea fans love that he came out. He always went into battle for them, said the right things, did the right things, and he's really, really loved that. That says a lot. Okay, what about D-Day then, Andy? You've got a theory on this. Well, I I think, just as I thought when Nagelsmann was still the coach, that Bayern will absolutely obliterate Dortmund this weekend. I would be shocked if that was not the case. I don't think it makes any difference who the coach is. Obviously, it will be a story if Tuchel goes to work on his, his former club. But I think Dortmund have way overperformed in the first bit of 2023. Um, they've got a massive inferiority complex when they go to Munich. Look at their results there in the Allianz Arena over the past six or seven years. And, well, you know, sit down while you're reading them, I would say. And then you look at the fact that... I don't even think it's the the new manager bounce. I just think it's the fact that Bayern, the, the whole problem, as we said, that predates Nagelsmann, is that they're liable to get their pants pulled down by an Eintracht Frankfurt or by Leverkusen, albeit very ably steered by Xabi Alonso. 
But when it comes to a big game, they need to be provoked. They need to face a Leipzig or a Dortmund to show how good they are. And they invariably do. And I, I think that's the thing. So I don't think we're going to learn anything about Tuchel or where he's taking the team or anything this weekend. I think the result, regardless, is Bayern will really, really go to work on, on Dortmund because that's what Bayern do. Does your missus know that you're staking your house on it? <laughs> She'll never need to because I'm going to win. And how many are they going to batter Dortmund by? Four or five, I reckon. On, on, honestly, I, I, <laughs> I, I, re- I, really, I really reckon that's, that's what will happen. I would like that not to happen because, like I said, I would like the title race to survive beyond this, this weekend. Although, long term, David, I, I don't know what you think. Tuchel has got quite a... Why he never really felt that love with the Dortmund fans that Jurgen Klopp got is because he's got quite a, I guess, scientific approach to, mm. to the game. Now, he relates to star players really well. That was, that was something he did very well at PSG. Obviously, he didn't relate very well to the people upstairs, but in, in terms of getting uh, Neymar on side and Bappe, he, he really clicked with those, those, those guys. Do you think medium term, given that Bayern's football is so, that the best Bayern football is so handbrake off, can Tuchel fit with that, do you think? I think he can. I, I, honestly, I think he's good enough coach to really find that balance. I think when to, when, when, when to sit and then when to go as well. And it is about balance. I think that PSG, the, PS, the games against PSG, were, I thought Bayern were really impressive and they had a lot of balance then. I thought, I, you know, it's funny, I was watching that, I was thinking, you know what, Nagelsmann's learned here. I, I I can see what they've done in the Champions League is faultless. Yeah, I can see it's signs of maturity. Faultless. Yeah, I thought I can see signs of maturity, and uh, yeah, there's pressure on I think Tuchel to to continue that because City is going to be it's going to be a war. It's going to be one hell of a game, and that's when you're going to learn a lot about Tuchel's buy-in in those games against Man City and Pep. And apologies for my faux pas, my Freudian slip. It's obviously her house. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot forward slash ramble. Okay, like Tiny Tim, I'm going to tiptoe through the tulips of the Eredivisie. We don't always look at the uh, Dutch league, but here we've got an upset to a certain extent. Feyenoord are leading and, well, Ajax aren't where they normally are. And this email from Nicholas, which came before the international break, makes the point. Love the show. I've been listening for well over five years now. I grew up in South Africa, but live in Berlin. And my brother is over in Rotterdam. I went to a Feyenoord game there once and have always kept an eye on the area divisie ever since. This year, they've been on a brilliant run. And after beating Ajax today in a thrilling 3-2, they really look like they can bag the title. I would love it. If you guys could give the Eredivisie and Feyenoord some coverage, some love is what he's looking for, Andy. Feyenoord deserve it. They've had an extraordinary season. Now, I guess we've got to quickly get out of the way the fact that Ajax have had a far from smooth season. Obviously, they lost Ten Hag, load of starters. Alfred Schroeder appointment didn't point out to the point where they even had to appoint a head coach with hair in Johnny Heitinger, which is uh, very much not part of their MO. Um, but I think given that Ajax were coming back over the hill for, as Nicholas says, for um, Feyenoord to go there, play so positively and win 3-2 in Amsterdam, in what, what was a fantastic game, by the way, before the international break, was brilliant. And it, it really showed um, their, their positivity, both of... Um, on a slot, the coach and and the players. And it underlines how good they've been all season. They've only lost one league game this season. And given, David, that they got to the Conference League final, were probably the better team against Roma so. in, in the yeah. final, certainly in the second half of that game. And I know we can say about Mourinho wanting to play finals in a certain way. Roma rode their luck there. Let's, let's, Definitely. Let's be honest. Classic man. But off, off, the, off the back of that, you feel that they lost a few key players and you thought, well, it was a nice run, but they're not really going to go anywhere from here. And they've regrouped and they've gone again. So, I mean, they lost Malassia, Senesi and Sinistera, who all, all went to the Premier League, of course. Um, and they've rebounded well. Um, once again, they've recruited intelligently. They brought players through the academy as well. But it all, I think, stems down from a really, really good coach um, in, in Slaughter. Um, who I think has, I think the, you look at things sometimes and think, oh, how many players can team lose and, uh, and will they you know, will they eventually fall apart after that? But I think Slot has held it all together really, really well. 
They're such a unit, very organised. Um, I think the first thing that you notice about Feyenoord is when you're watching them, they are very clear in their ideas and what their roles are as players. And they execute them really, really well. And that comes from good coaching. That comes from getting your ideas across. And I think that's what Slot clearly does really, really well. Because I've watched Feyenoord now in many times. And it, it's interesting. Some games, they are possession-based. In other games, they're happy to sit back. I don't want to watch that first leg against Shakhtar. Mm. And I thought they sat back. Shakhtar had more of the ball. I think I think Shakhtar used the ball um, a lot more. But Feyenoord were happy to be patient and then get at them on the break. Um, so that's been a very impressive. We've just been talking about balance with Thomas Tuchel as well. And and, and that's key in football. And, and under slot, they, they really have that. And I think that's where the success is coming from. Yeah, that's to show real patience in that in that first game against Shakhtar mm. where they had a lot of chances and, and, and didn't take them until right at the end before absolutely going to work on them in the in the, in the second leg in, in, in Rotterdam with that fantastic crowd behind them and, you know, just being absolutely clinical in front of goal in, 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 in that second leg. And remember, they're, they're in a higher form of European competition this year in um, the Europa League as opposed to the Conference League. Of course, another player they lost was uh, Cyril Dessers, who um, uh, his, his loan spell ended after he was top scorer for them in the Conference League last season so um, you know we talked about Ajax and their excuse of losing a lot of key players that's definitely been the case for Feyenoord as well but I think the level of the achievement if they were to get this over the line and winning that game I mean it was it was the definition of a six pointer winning the, the, the game in Amsterdam. yeah winning yeah. the game in Amsterdam because if Ajax had won it they would have gone level on points um, Feyenoord won it and are now six points clear and that is a big gap to try and clear up. If you look at Ajax over the, the, the last couple of years, like say the last four years, and let's not just look at the fact that, you know, they're historically one of the biggest clubs in the world. Although Feyenoord fans will always tell you they won the European Cup first. They won it in 70. Ajax won it first in 71. The, the fact is that the way that European football is structured money-wise, and particularly uh, a second-tier league like the Eredivisie, what Ajax have done in terms of getting uh, to the 2019 Champions League semi-final, um, selling De Ligt and De Jong off the back of that, selling more players, including Ziyech, for example, in the subsequent years, and getting back in the Champions League and doing okay in it. They've got so much money compared to other Dutch clubs that really, you're looking at that, you're looking at that 2018-19 season where they sell two players for pure profit, but enormous profit, by the way, who are club products, so it is pure profit. And then they make all that Champions League money. No one should be able to hold a candle to them for the next 10 years in the Eredivisie if they play it right. What they have done this season is not played it right. And you know, I think a, a huge part of that was the Anthony thing. They had a plan, Ajax, to sell a couple of players, but then you sell a player too many and they were right to sell Anthony because the price they got for him was extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I accept that he's he's a very good player, but the, the 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 price they paid for him was well over the top. And eventually, they did well to extract maximum value. But what happened is when Anthony went on strike and then got his move, then you had Edson Alvarez, knowing Chelsea were interested, going on strike, and not turning up to training. You had Mohamed Kudus, who's actually been very good this season, having had a, a few tricky knee issues earlier on in his spell with Ajax. Um, there was a possibility of a loan move to Everton. He thought, you know what? I'll, I'll go on strike and see if I can get that move. It didn't work. But that for Schroeder is massively disruptive. You compare that to the authority 
that Arna Slot has. There's a reason, David, that some big clubs are looking at him. Yeah, absolutely. His ownership and fingerprints are just all over that team and, and how they are run. And that's why I think I think maybe in the summer, say Slot goes and then one of the players who who has been impressive, maybe Jimenez as well. I think you know everyone's in the market for a striker right now, so Jimenez could be one to go. So say Slot and Jimenez went then I think, you know, Feyenoord will have an Ajax situation like, wow, right, how do, how do we replace these guys here? So it might cause a little bit of trouble then. But ultimately, yes, it's been about ownership. You know, Dutch teams are always going to lose players. You know, PSV lost their starting Gakpo to, to Liverpool as well. Ajax lost the players that you've mentioned. I lost the coach, God. Um, and then Feyenoord are gonna, have also lost players as well. It's about how well you can regroup and react to that. And that really tells you how you're run as a club as well. Because if you react well to it, no matter who you sell, then, wow, you're a hell of a run club. And I think you're right about the, the, the coach as well being really key this season. At that level of authority. Because you think of the situation that Ajax had, and then you talk about PSV and the fact that Van Nistelrooy is having his, his first season in charge. You mentioned fingerprints earlier on, David. Mm. Um, I, I'll, be, I'll be real. I have seen one of Arne Slot's fingerprints on a shot window in North London in <laughs> um, 17. So if he goes and he's been such a fundamental part of this Fire North success this season, what happens to them next season? Um, I, th- I think it's tough. Um, I- I'd be thinking about a replacement already if I was them because Arne... Well, Arne will they get compensation Arne, from, Arne, by the way? Yeah, they, 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 they would, but I mean... Like coaches don't go for a lot of money. I, that's not really doing anything for you. It's not going to move the needle, I, I don't think. The, the thing with Slot that's so interesting, I mean, he has played incredibly positive, brave football. That's how they won the game in, in Amsterdam, by being really front foot, by not panicking when they went 2-1 down and sticking to what they wanted to do. And I, I think you, you look at that when um, Ajax were 2-1 up at half time and having lost the lead, it would be easy for Feyenoord to play cautiously. They came out second half and they absolutely went for Ajax. And Ajax are just thinking, what the bloody hell is going on here? You know, they, were, they were totally taken aback by it. I think if you're, a, if, if you're a decision maker at Tottenham, if you've watched just that game, never mind the rest of Feyenoord season, in which they've been excellent, in which, as David said, they've shown loads of personality. I think you look at that and you think... If you want a coach that's really going to excite the fans, that's really going to get them back on side, I th- he's got quite a convincing case, I would say. I think absolutely. He'd be the top of my list. I know Leeds were really, really keen and Leeds thought they had him in, in, in January as well. So you might want to see his fingerprints in Leeds as well. So you're probably disappointed some Leeds fans there, Dutton. Um, well, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> the, the, the way that Slot is augmenting his reputation with the way that Feyenoord are playing this season, not just in Eredivisie, but in Europe. It's a little bit like the situation with Darwin Nunez, if we go back a year. You've got the winter window where West Ham are interested in him. And like a month and a half later, he's like, right, nope, you've missed your chance. Mm -hmm. And that's the case with Leeds here, isn't it? You You know, he has gone past that tier now and he's going towards a higher tier. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, if I was to compare him and... Dutch people won't be very happy about this because I know Dutch coaches are you know, very well-possessed by their fans. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, he's reminded me a lot of Jürgen Klopp at Dortmund. The way the, the yeah. side's set up, their counter-pressing is very, very similar. If you watch how aggressive um, Feyenoord are when they lose the ball, they're really impressive in that. They're very direct as well. And like you said, they're very brave. And, and yeah, I see a lot of Jürgen Klopp in slot. We've, 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 we've had a go at selling um, Arne Slot to the Premier League. Which, which players are you selling? 
<sighs> Good question. Because if if like straight straight away, which players uh, is he taking with him to the or, Premier League, or, or which players are going to go elsewhere? Because as David says, they're going to lose a few. Yeah. Um, the the right back, I really like, and I think, you know, if if you look at say. This is just an example. Obviously, Tottenham are covered there now. The way they felt the need to bet the farm, really, on Pedro Porro, in my opinion, pay a little bit too much for him, um, shows that it, it, it's still it's still quite a tricky slot to fill, especially when you're looking for a, a more orthodox right back than than just a, a right wing back, really. And, yeah. and Hatueda can, can play centre back as well. And what happens if slot does go to Spurs? Could cash in on Kane straight away and then bring Santi Jimenez in to replace him. Are you fishing for Paratici's job? <laughs> I think you are, aren't you? So as we always do, it's time to ask you both for a recommendation for us, a Game of the Week recommendation that we can enjoy, something that will tweak our interest in football this weekend. You fancy going first, David? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tasty games on there really is. I, I did look at Milan Napoli, um, but I think look we've do, we've discussed I think quite a big part of this show on Tommy Tuchel at Bayern, so I don't think we can look past the classic really. Um, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see um, how Tuchel beds in where his initial moves are, and it's also gonna be really interesting to see if Andy's big prediction comes off of five oh, nil. Just want to reiterate that five nil by the way. Yes. Not expecting anything less, anything more. Five nil. If it's if it's four, I do expect a degree of credit. Right. If it's if it's five nil, I will chalk on the item that is my food pairing, and that's a Brad first. Well, is, is it? Is it? There we go. And what about have you? you have your pretzel cut into small pieces? <laughs> that's all I'm saying. No more predictions. You've only got what? She's only got one house. Yeah. Um, I am going. Well, I'm going to Italy for the weekend, actually, and um, I'm going to take my children to Inter Fiorentina on Saturday, Ooh. Roma Samp on Sunday. Uh, my game of the week, though, is going to be the Inter Fiorentina one for that reason. One because, um, I, I don't know. To be honest, I'm massively excited about taking my children to a full San Siro. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's one of them spots you you have to do. I think uh, just that. Uh, I remember the first time I went to the San Siro, the bit where you walk up and you see the silhouette of the thing. It's, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that bit. Presumably they won't be paying as much attention as I am at, 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 at the time. Um, but I, I think as well, what excites me about this game is the fact that Inter, obviously very, very unpredictable, but Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku has had a great international break. He's started to look like prime Lukaku with Belgium. He looks, he looks happy. He looks psyched. And there's big doubts about where he might be next season because Inter have already said we can't afford to keep him. I don't really know whether Chelsea want him back. There's, but, but, but for the moment, he's just thinking, okay, well, there's plenty of the season left. We've got a new start with um, Belgium under a good new coach in Domenico Tedesco. Um, Inter could still theoretically win the Champions League, obviously playing Benfica in the quarterfinal. There's a lot left in this season for them and specifically for him. So getting a first-hand look at him while he's like looking on it again is, is something I'm, I'm very excited about. The food outside um, San Siro, they grill a lot of meats in sandwiches. I am thinking some sort of uh, chicken milanesa or, 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 or something porchetta. along those lines. Porchetta. Nice oh, por yeah. Nice porchetta sandwich. Why not? Both. I, I see more pizza slices this week and the goals. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know. Well, the, the, the great thing about going anywhere you're going to eat with, with children is the fact that you get something for them that you'll like as well because <clears throat> if they don't finish it, your quid's in. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.